Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Hello, oddities. Welcome once again to another edition of the Oddcast featuring me, the Odd Man Out. As always, I'm so happy that you decided to spend your time listening to me. And so this week, I'm talking about a fairly popular group. It's another part of my Illuminated Institution series. And it connects, of course, with the Freemasons. You guessed it. This week, we're talking about the Shriners. And if you don't know, the Shriners, the full title is Ancient Arabic Order Nobles of the Mystic Shrine, or A-A-O-N-M-S. And interestingly enough, if you jumble those letters around, it spells a mason. Yes, A-A-O-N-M-S. A mason. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, a lot of people know about the Shriners, of course. They're circuses, and they see these guys and these little weird red fez hats and they see them riding these little go-karts and raising money for charities and they see the circuses and of course they see the hospitals. They may see the ads or commercials for the hospitals. And really the Shriners are known for those hospitals. When people mention the Shriners other than the circuses and the funny hats, they think about the hospitals and they're wonderful, yes, that they've provided this free medical care for children who are burned or have other injuries or disabilities. But we can't just forget about anything negative they might have done just because they've done positive things. And so what brought me to want to do a show about them, of course, I was already interested in the Freemasons, but a few months ago I had discovered that there was an author by the name of Sandy Frost who, going way back all the way to 2006, had began to study and look into the Shriners and their inner orders, and one of those orders is the Royal Order of Jesters, and see that there are some nefarious things going on. And that prompted her to continue to look deeper. And she really exposed a bunch of things. She got a lot of pushback because there were some pretty important people that were connected to this royal order of jesters. And it's pretty well known in Shriner circles that there's some pretty wealthy guys who are Shriners. So if you didn't know, to be a Shriner, you have to complete the first three degrees in Blue Lodge Freemasonry and become a Master Mason. Or 
complete the 32nd degree in the Scottish Rite. Now, I'm not sure about the York Rite. I suppose that if you complete the grades there, the degrees, then you will be able to become a Shriner. And up until the year 2000, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you had to be a 32nd degree Freemason. You couldn't just be a Master Mason from the Blue Lodge. But they've changed that because their numbers were dwindling, as many of these secret societies are. So I had discovered Sandy Frost, but I realized that you can't find her books. She's got two books on this. And she had many, many articles. She won awards, all these different things. And lo and behold, all of her stuff is gone, except for on just a couple of sites who archive this kind of stuff. Completely gone as if she'd never even done it, right? You can't find it on Amazon. There's a couple places where I did find her books. It said you could order the ebook, and that was Barnes & Noble. Unfortunately, when I tried to order it, the link wouldn't work. So I never really got anywhere with that. But I looked around and was able to find one of her books, which is called Vampires of Charity. Oddly enough, I was talking to my friend Jack these few months ago, and I was telling him, hey, man, if you find this book online anywhere, please let me know, or any book by this author about this subject. And a couple days later, he's like, you know what's weird? I, I had a new guest on the show, and he told me he was about to do a show exposing the Shriners. And I was like, Wow, that's crazy. But I guess it's not really crazy because they're just a part of the Freemasons and a lot of people in the truther community talk about Freemasonry, right? So anyway, that turned out to be New York Patriot. And since then, I've got to be friends with him as well and have him on the show. And he's had me on his show. And I've been on with the Occult Rejects, him and his co-host Lux. And so they have done a phenomenal job of exposing the Shriners, and not just the Shriners and the Jesters, but the Order of Quetzalcoatl and all these other guys. So I highly suggest you check out the Occult Rejects information on the Shriners. So when I found out someone else was working on this, I was like, well, I'm just going to put that on the back burner because these guys are probably going to do a better job than I ever could. And they did. There's no question. But since I'd already began to study about the Shriners, I thought, well, I might as well do it, but kind of take a different avenue with my research. And so what I've done is just kind of tried to look at what the Shriners believe, look at their initiations and some of the origins of the institution itself and some of their connections as well, some of the symbology and stuff like that. So later on, I will touch a little bit on some of the more nefarious things that are connected to them. They do have another inner order that Frost talks about that I wasn't able to find much about, but they do have an interesting name. SOBIB is the acronym S-O-B-I-B. Supposedly it stands for either the Secret or Sacred Order of Brothers in Blood. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because it makes you wonder how many of these inner orders each one of these different secret societies have. It, it could be endless for all we know, but I think that uh, just looking at the Shriners for one, uh, these guys, if you look at it on paper, because these guys went through all the degrees of Freemasonry, well, shouldn't they be the really enlightened ones? More enlightened at least than the other degrees? Uh, should they be close to the adepts? Or is that saved for Rosicrucianism? I mean, these guys have went through all this. So are they not illuminated? And should they not be mostly free from any of these nefarious goings-on? Or does that go back to my theory about extreme dualism and nothing really mattering because there's no such thing as really as good or evil and there's no such thing as reality as a lot of these secret societies teach. So, I don't know, something to ponder on. So as we continue 
and get into this episode, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I'll dedicate this to author Sandy Frost. You know, I tried to contact her. I found her Facebook page, and I sent out a message to her that I would love to have her on, but I never heard back. And the fact that she's all but disappeared as far as her her work in journalism um, makes me think that she was threatened or that someone got a hold of her and said, you better stop this now, stop it now. Also, I've heard that she may have had a stroke and is having some health issues and maybe she can't write any longer. So if that's the case, I'm very sad about that. So I just want to dedicate this episode to Sandy Frost. So the first runner temple was supposedly organized in September 1872 and it was named Mecca for the holy city of the Muslim religion and the birthplace of Muhammad. Mecca is the very center of the Islamic faith. Everyday Muslims around the world face towards Mecca and bow down to pray to their idol. Now each temple, each Shriner's temple, has a potentate, a high priest, and a prophet. Those are the first three, the highest degrees in the temple that we know of. And sometimes Shriners are referred to as the 32nd and a half degree Masons. At least they were until they started allowing Blue Lodge Freemasons to come in, Master Masons. Uh, President Harry Truman, President Ford were both Shriners and Jesters. Congressman, ex-Congressman, Gus Bilirakis and Representative Jimmy Duncan were both Shriners and Jesters. And Jimmy was from my area, and I thought he was a pretty good guy, but I don't know after reading more about these jesters. Anyway, you know, it says here, Shriners are well known for their Shriner Circus, where they claim to raise money for their burn hospitals. In June 1986, a daily newspaper in Florida, the Orlando Sentinel, reported that less than 2% of the circus money raised actually went to the hospitals and that by 1982, the Shriners had become the richest charity in America, amassing $1.2 billion in assets. Of the $17.5 million raised in 1984, $17.3 million went into their own pockets, while only $182,051 went to the support of the hospitals. The Shriner hospitals are a front appealing to compassionate hearts in order to accumulate great wealth for the Shriners themselves. Let's look at the oath of a Shriner. And this is from Mason Busters. High priest and prophet takes up the bowl. Most noble counsel of the Inquisition, now in testimony of the justice of our course, let us in this maiden's blood Seal the alliance of our bond of secrecy and silence, and let this day's bloody work in the deepest recesses of every noble's heart be buried. And, you know, that kind of reminds me of the legend, which the Shriners deny, and I can't prove, but that these Fez hats, back in the day, coming from the Middle East, were actually white and when they killed the Christians in these battles, they would dip their hats in the blood. Now, this may be total BS. It kind of sounds like BS. But you never know. There's been some strange, strange things come out of history. Anyway, I think that the Moors may have invented that Fez hat. I don't know for sure. But it seems like the Moors go back much farther than the Shriners. And there's definitely some links there. We can look at another oath, and this is from phoenixfreemasonry.org. Let's look at another oath here of the Shriners. It says here, From the Shrine, or the ancient Arabic order, nobles of the mystic Shrine, in willful violation, whereof I may incur the fearful penalty of having my eyeballs pierced to the center with a three-edged blade, my feet flayed, and I be forced to walk the hot sands upon the sterile shores of the Red Sea, until the flaming sun shall strike me with livid plague, 
and my Allah, the God of Arab, Muslim, and Mohammedan, the God of our fathers, support me to the entire fulfillment of the same. Amen, amen, and amen. Another interesting thing, you know, you have the Kaaba at Mecca, and, you know, it's the big black box or the black cube of Saturn, you know, that kind of thing. And so the Muslims will walk around it, I believe, six times. And there's a pretty interesting background to that. So I suggest you check that out yourselves. But it seems like the black cube or black box or black stone symbolism. And think about black rock investments or black stone, which is a subsidiary or used to be a subsidiary of black rock. And of course, Black Rock works directly with the Federal Reserve, which should be illegal. And you think about Black Cube, the Israeli intelligence organization, or ex-Israeli intelligence guys who started this organization. So the cube, the stone symbolism, the philosopher's stone symbolism is there. And it's also in Freemasonry, and it's also in the Shriners, right? So, kissing the black stone is part of the ritual. And I can read you the text of the kissing of the black stone in that part of it. It says, When Ishmael and his father Abraham built the national shrine near the place where the tabernacle of clouds stood, an angel presented them with a dazzling white stone, which they inserted in the wall of the temple. And each year the worshippers would journey to Mecca to kiss this stone. Today, so many have kissed the stone that it has now become black and is known as the Kaaba stone or black stone of Casper. Our ritual stipulates that you, in token of your sincerity, seal your obligations by kissing the black stone of Casper. No doubt many times you have stated that you would not kiss anybody's hind parts to gain favor. Well, it seems that you have wanted to be a Shriner so bad that you are willing to kiss the black stone of Casper. Shame on you. And that's from phoenixfreemasonry.org, so they wouldn't do anything that would show Masons or Shriners in a bad light there. So that must be actually part of their ritual text. So similar to the Freemasons and the Hiram Abiff legend where he won't give up the secret word, so the three ruffians kill him. So they have something similar, the Shriners. It's a mock trial with a mock hanging. Pretty interesting, right? And just a little trivia here. In Rosicrucianism, we learned that the mythical founder of Rosicrucianism, Christian Rosenkreutz, well, he supposedly studied at the city of Fez in Egypt. So... That's a connection right there to the Rosicrucians, right? And from a book called Freemasonry on Trial, I found it online, and it is various authors, and they have a little bit about the shrine. You know, the shrine is much less written about than Freemasonry. It says, Masons use humanitarian activities to further covert goals. Masons, particularly groups like the shrine, are known primarily for their humanitarian activities i.e. children's hospitals. Certainly, we can all be thankful for such activities on behalf of these children and all needy persons, but unfortunately, this is not the whole issue, and a number of sources have questioned the use of funds donated for such causes. The South Haven, Michigan Daily Tribune of April 21, 1987, revealed that even though the shrine is the richest charity in the nation, it gave its 22 hospitals for children less than one-third of the total amount collected from the public in 1984. The remainder was spent on travel, entertainment, fraternal ceremonies, fundraising, food, and so on. So in other words, the Shriners allegedly kept 71% of the $21.7 million raised. Circuses sponsored by the Shrine generated $23 million in 1985, but less than 2% went to the medical care of children. The Orlando Sentinel, this may be the one we read earlier, from June 29, 1986, ran a special four-part series on its six-month investigation into the Shrine Charity expenditures. 
confirming the above statistics through IRS records. Also, in 1984, the Shrine Hospital received only 1% of the estimated $17.5 million collected from Shrine Circuses. So that is a big difference, you know, than what we are led to believe and what I believed myself. Uh, actually, when I was younger, I had a friend whose niece uh, was injured on a 4th of July party when some Roman candles actually flew into her. I guess they turned over, and she was just about four or five. And yeah, they flew her out to the hospital and uh, took care of her, and it was all on them, no charges at all. But I've read since then that uh, there's been several hospitals closed, and they do charge now. So I don't know how that all works, but things apparently have changed. And I, I presume that part of this is due to Sandy Frost exposing the way these guys actually operate behind the scenes. From the book, The Occult Conspiracy, he's talking about the symbol of Shriners. You know, the uh, scimitar and the moon. He says, the symbol of the order is a crescent moon made from the claws of a Bengal tiger, engraved with a pyramid, an urn, and a pentagram. The crescent is suspended from a scimitar, and in the order is a representation of the Universal Mother, worshipped in ancient times as Isis. The horns of the crescent point downwards, because it represents the setting moon of the old faith at the rising of the sun of the new religion of the Brotherhood of Humanity. Again, that's The Occult Conspiracy, page 93. And in Ralph Epperson's book, you may remember Ralph Epperson because we talked about his works in the last couple of shows about Freemasonry. In New World Order, he says, Another Mason who approved of the merger, he's talking about the merger of the Bavarian Illuminati with Freemasonry because Adam Weishaupt, he wanted to join these Masons into the Illuminati and just kind of merge the two. He really liked the structure of the degrees and whatnot in Freemasonry and the secrecy as well. He says, Another Mason who approved the merger of the Bavarian Illuminati with Freemasonry was Dr. Walter M. Fleming, one of the four founders of the Shrine, or the Shriners, an organization that is part of the Masonic fraternity. He and three other Masons formed this organization in 1871, and he assisted in the preparation of a history of the Shrine in 1983. In that book, Dr. Fleming wrote, Among the modern promoters of the principles of the Order of the Shrine in Europe, one of the most noted was Herr Adam Weishaupt, professor of law at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria, who revived the order in that city on May 1, 1776, May Day. Its members exercised a profound influence before and during the French Revolution when they were known as the Illuminati. Dr. Fleming was a 33rd degree Mason. He was recognized as the founder of the Shrine. His quote comes from a book called Parade to Glory, written by Fred Van Deventer, which appears to be given to each new member of the Shrine. Now, if you'll remember a few episodes ago, we quoted Anton LaVey from the book, The Satanic Rituals, and in describing the initiation, or as he calls it, the rites of Lucifer, called Elair Epas, in English, it's translated as the ceremony of the stifling air. LaVey wrote, A striking American parallel to this rite is enacted within the mosques of the ancient Arabic order of the nobles of the mystic shrine, an order reserved for 32nd degree Masons. The nobles have gracefully removed themselves from any implications of heresy by referring to the place beyond the devil's pass as the domain where they might worship at the shrine of Islam. And there's also another inner order called the Mystic Order of Veiled Prophets of the Enchanted Realm, or also called the Grotto. And I think it's interesting because LeVay actually called his hubs, if you will, his temples or whatever, grottos. Now, this may be symbolic in nature only, but when I'm looking up these Freemasonic 
tied organizations, I'd like to also take a look at certain words and phrases that they use and names that they use and look them up in Gematria and use the septenary cipher, which was popular with Albert Pike, and I think it's popular among Freemasons. And so I did that, and I typed in Jester. Well, Jester equals 32, and so does Freemason and Stonemason. Schreiner, however, adds up to 33. And so does Rosy Croix, or Rose Cross. So think of that what you will. Now, one of the few articles I could still find by Sandy Frost from Op-Ed News, this dates back all the way to, let's see here, 5-13-2008. And it says, Shriners spin away, breakdown of spiritual order? Question mark. I won't read the whole thing, but... She says the Shriners seem to have launched a massive PR campaign as well as settled a defamation lawsuit they filed against two whistleblowers right before the 9th Worldwide Conference of Masonic Grand Lodges that is taking place from May 7th to 10th in Washington, D.C. Over 800 Masonic leaders will be joining the Grand Masters from over 100 countries for three days of sessions receptions, and ceremonies for the first time in our nation's capital. Now bear with me here. She kind of gets into how the Masonic degrees work, and we've been over this stuff in the past, but we'll go over it quickly here just because it connects. She says, First, a man applies for membership at a local Masonic lodge, also known as the Blue Lodge. Once accepted, he must pass the test and complete the rituals to advance through the three degrees to become a Master Mason. In North America... Masonic lodges are grouped by state and are governed by one Grand Lodge. There is no Grand Lodge of America. Rather, the Grand Master of each state's Masonic Grand Lodge has supreme authority over all Masons in that state. Some international Grand Lodges oversee a country or a region. There are about 3 million Masons in North America and about 2 million worldwide. In North America, a Master Mason can branch out and join other appendant groups such as the Scottish Rite, the Knights Templar, or the Shriners. Once a Master Mason becomes a Shriner, he joins the Red Fez-wearing fraternity of 350,000 or so men who meet in 191 North American temples. Though they are Master Masons, some seem to disconnect from and turn their back on Freemasonry and become Shriners first who then dedicate their lives to overseeing and supporting their $13 billion network of 22 hospitals that provides free medical care to burned or crippled children at taxpayer expense. Both Shriners Hospitals and fraternities are nonprofit groups that are overseen by their own board of directors, with some board members sitting on both boards at the same time for unlimited terms. This is more commonly called a conflict of interest. This joint board of directors calls the shots for both the Shriners Hospitals and the fraternity. The Imperial Potentate is the leader of the fraternity, a Shriner who has risen up through the ranks, including the fraternity's governing body, the Imperial Divan, or Divan, to serve a one-year term as he governs the 191 temples who, in turn, govern the 2,000 clubs under them. In February 2008, the joint boards publish their newsletter, Between Sessions, that tells the world about the great job they are doing. The Shriners Hospitals for Children recently released Biomedical Research Highlights, Volume 2.1, in March 2008. In April 2008, Imperial Potentate Bernard Lemieux issued a statement about the most recent joint board meeting, highlighting a consultant's plan to more efficiently structure Shriners headquarters and how the board approved a new strategic action plan. On May 1, 2008, court documents were recorded after the Shriners settled a lawsuit instead of pursuing two whistleblowers for defamation. Why would the Shriners be working so hard on putting out the good word and getting rid of the defamation lawsuit before the world's Grand Masters meet in D.C.? Are they trying to wave their hands like Obi-Wan Kenobi and tell the Grand Masters these are not the headlines that you're looking for? Headlines? Who said anything about headlines? 
Well, before we go there, let's look at the Shriner's chain of command. Now, I think this is important to remember because we're talking about how this whole system works, and it is a system very much so. And remember, it's a system built upon secrecy and blood oaths. And that's why, if for no other reason, I call into question these secret fraternities. The ambitious Shriner can work his way up until he may be invited to join a secret Shrine subgroup called the Royal Order of Jesters, another nonprofit group with both charitable and fraternal components. The Jesters claim that their fraternal exempt organization purpose is to spread the gospel of merriment and mirth. They also claim they deserve charitable status because they built a museum inside their new $1.2 million headquarters in Indianapolis, Indiana. Recent articles about the Royal Order of Jesters began on February 15, 2008, when I published Jesters Exposed. I was wrong, I guess. I thought it began in 2006. It asked, have the Jesters hustled the feds by convincing them that raising money for partying is a legitimate exempt purpose because the IRS has had no problem classifying them as both a nonprofit fraternity and a charity. She says, This article described how the Jester's executive director, Alex Rogers, submitted an application for property exemption for the new headquarters and how it was initially denied by the Marion County Assessor because they were not convinced that the Jester's qualified as a charity based on the museum claims under Indiana law. The Jesters appealed to the State Board of Tax Appeals and were granted the property tax exemption after convincing the state that they were an appendant body of masonry. She says her next article was titled, Jesters to Testify About Illegal Drugs, Illegal Child Prostitution, ran on March 6, 2008. This article described how 19 Jesters were called as witnesses in a federal libel slander lawsuit to testify about their firsthand knowledge of prostitution, minor prostitution, use of illegal drugs, and or entry into an Indian reservation by share, and she says that is the plaintiff, and his or her customers while on a ROJ, Royal Order of Jesters, sanctioned fishing trip to Brazil. This article describes the testimony of underage girls provided to Brazilian authorities who are currently investigating the possibility that the girls were involved in child sex tourism. One of the girls claimed she was 13 at the time and was left pregnant. Three days later, on March 9th, the Buffalo News ran ex-judge target in interstate sex case. And she says that reporter Dan Herbick wrote, a retired state Supreme Court justice resigns his post as a hearing officer as federal agents investigate his alleged role in taking a local massage parlor worker across state lines for the purpose of prostitution. FBI and U.S. Border Patrol agents are investigating allegations that the retired judge, Ronald H. Tills, his former law clerk, and a retired police captain, took the female massage parlor employee in a motorhome to a gathering of members of a nationwide group called the Royal Order of Jesters. Well, I mean, it's terrible for sure, and it's gross. But uh, if she was working in a massage parlor, uh, she probably knew what she was up for. But again, if she was underage or if she was trafficked in, that's a whole nother story. Now, we won't go too deeply into the Jesters and the Shriners' crimes or alleged crimes because I want to veer off that and kind of just get more into what they believe and their initiations and whatnot. But we'll read a little bit more of this. She says in her latest article at the time, it was titled, Judge, Central Figure in FBI Probe, The Sobib and the Jesters' Half a Million Dollar Weekend Parties, which ran on April 12th. 2008. It reported how Judge Tills had become the focus of an investigation by the FBI, the U.S. Attorney General's Office, and a human trafficking task force, and that he, along with Alex Rogers and Ralph Simb, chairman of the Board of Trustees for the Shriners Hospitals for Children, are members of a jester's subgroup called the SOBIB. 
The acronym supposedly stands for Secret or Sacred Order of the Brothers in Blood. Tax returns show that the Jesters failed to report this subgroup on their tax returns and that, in 2004, the International Royal Order of Jesters spent, get this, $545,806 on one of their weekend celebrations of merriment and mirth otherwise known as the Book of the Play. So you might be asking, have the Shriners denounced any of the jesters involved in these prostitution, child sex, tourism, felony scandals? No. She says no. So there is some interesting stuff she gets into where the Shriners were investigated into biomedical research and trying to come up with this type of artificial skin. For burn victims, which sounds great, right? But there's all kinds of shady ties and shady facts involved in it. Now, the book that I was able to find by her is called Vampires of Charity. But she continues that with another book called Pirates of Charity. And I have seen that on Scribd. And so I may indeed join and just get that book. And she goes on to explain how they went out of their way to protect them and try to get the attention off these shady dealings and alleged crimes. So that's another reason why I believe that she has all but disappeared and her work has all but disappeared on the internet. I believe it was scrubbed for the most part and you have to look really, really hard to be able to find it. Now, looking at this PDF I found, it's called the Fez Owner's Manual, a concise handbook for every Shriner. So I thought it was kind of cool because that way if you ever hear any of these terms, you'll know what they're talking about. So an ambassador is a noble appointed by a potentate to represent him and the temple at club and unit meetings and functions. The appointed divan, six nobles appointed by the potentate to assist him during his term. They include the first ceremonial master, second ceremonial master, director, marshal, and captain of the guard and outer guard. Black camel is the term used to refer to the death of a member of the Shriners fraternity. A cabiri, C-A-B-I-R-I, is a social organization composed of past potentates. So that would be like an organization of past masters if it was Freemasonry. Editorial without words. The image of a Shriner carrying a little girl and her crutches. This image originated from a photograph and has been reflected in statues, graphics, and other media as a symbol of the Shriners fraternity and Shriners hospitals for children. It is currently an important part of the visual identity of Shriners Hospitals for Children. So the elected divan, the collective name of the officers of a Shriners temple, the potentate, chief rabbin, assistant rabbin, high priest and prophet, oriental guide, treasurer, and recorder. The imperial council the body of the representatives from each of the 191 temples which determines the direction of the fraternity. And the imperial divan is 13 officers elected by the imperial council to lead the shrine fraternity. The imperial sir, the title preceding the name of a shriner who is serving or has served on the imperial divan. Then the imperial council session the Shriners' annual convention, generally held during the first week in July, the business of both fraternity and Shriners' hospitals for children are conducted at that time. Also, there are parades, unit competitions, and social events during the session. An illustrious sir, the title preceding the name of a Shriner who is serving or has served as potentate of his temple. A noble refers to the member of a Shriner's fraternity and is also the title preceding the name of any Shriner who is not a past or current potentate or who has not served on the Imperial Divan. The PCM is a 
permanent contributing member. The purchase of a $150 PCM certificate, which is tax deductible as a charitable donation, relieves the noble from paying the annual $5 hospital assessment. Shrinedom, that's the realm of the Shrine fraternity, including its members, governance, programs, activities, organizational, atmosphere, etc. Temple, any group of nobles chartered by or under dispensation of the Imperial Council. Temple, should not be used in the proper name of a group of Shriners. For example, the proper name for the first temple formed is Mecca Shriners, not Mecca Temple. And so it's got some other famous Shriners on here, and of course Buzz Aldrin. Uh, We've got Richard Tyson, who was an actor, Arnold Palmer, the golfer. We've got Brad Paisley, the country music star, John Wayne, and the former Prime Minister of Canada, John Diefenbaker. Now, just like the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians, there's a couple different origin stories that surround the shrine, and they're not really that interesting. It's just a fact that Albert Mackey tells a different story about the origins of the shrine than as does Fleming and the actual guys who started the shrine. So it's a little bit murky how they started, but it's really not that sexy. Yeah, and back to Sobib, this secret order of brothers in blood, I found a little blurb about them. It says, Sobib is an invitation-only order of jesters, truly exclusive, with just 254 active members as of 2008. Few in number, this handful of men nevertheless dominate the jesters, and therefore the shrine. Since its creation in 1979, all but one royal director has belonged to Sobib. Please check out the show notes, guys. I've got tons of notes about this stuff, too. I was looking at the jesters, so their initiation ritual, at least one of them, which is available in my show notes, uh, they act out this play, which is essentially a trial because they're trying the person who killed or the people who killed William Shakespeare. That's the whole theme of the thing. And there's a line in there that says, and there's a line in there that says, anybody can stand by you when you're right. A jester stands by you even when you are wrong. So I just thought that was kind of interesting, seeing how they've been in quite a bit of trouble. Let's see here. Um, And here's another part from Act 1. I just thought it was kind of interesting. I don't know, maybe it's just me. It says, Though all the world's a stage, still you all knew. You did not come to see a puppet show. This is rehearsal time. The actors, they are not themselves but just the parts they play. Their motley's on, their faces smudged with paint. Yet of times the sinner plays the saint. I pray you, judge among them, mark them well. Some you may consign to heaven, others send headlong into hell. I leave to you to cast the die, mine's not to ask the reason why. So let the curtain quickly rise, the play is ready before your eyes. I don't know. I mean, it's probably just one of those silly things that they do in their rituals. But I couldn't help but think about politics in general and a lot of things that we see in the public eye being nothing more than theater, you know, political theater, social theater. So I don't know. I just kind of uh, feel like it's it's a little hint at the outer world and what we see but maybe I'm just reading too much into it. And just another thing here I'll add is it says that jesters are limited to 13 initiates per year, and membership is by invitation only. And of course, the 33rd is by invitation only. And I thought that that was kind of interesting because It led me to, and I think I mentioned it earlier when I was going through the different names, titles in Shriners and their whole association, but uh, the Kabarai is another one that is reserved for past potentates or past leaders of the Shriners temples. So it's just an order solely 
of past potentates, which is like a Freemason lodge just for past grandmasters. Here on the website, Keberai International, from the little island of Samothrace, at the northern end of the Aegean Sea, came the ancient mysteries of Samothrace, of the Keberai, shrouded in the midst of antiquity. The little island of Samothrace was long the depository of certain august mysteries. We know that Manly P. Hall talks about august mysteries quite a bit. And many travelers went to the island to be initiated. The worship of the Kabarai spread from Samothrace to Etruria in Asia Minor. It has been said that Hiram, king of Tyre, was a high priest of these mysteries, and through him the lead feature of the Kabirian initiation was incorporated into masonry and perpetuated into the legend of the third degree. Many conjectures that the order of the Essen or Essenes grew out of the Kabirian rites. The gods adored in the mysteries of the island were termed Kabirai, an oriental word from Kabar, meaning great. In Arabic, Venus is called Kabar. The word Kabar belongs to the Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic languages. The secret ceremonies were performed at night in sacred chambers. By initiation, those who before were fellow citizens only became brothers, connected by a closer bond of fellowship than before. The initiate was regarded as a favorite of the gods, and the priests promised favorable winds, prosperous and safe voyages, and hospitality. The Hierophants of Samothrace made something infinitely greater to be the object of their initiation, pledging them to virtue, honor, brotherhood, and the assurance, those rewards which the justice of the gods reserved for initiates after death. Their ceremonies were inspiring and commanded the respect of all nations. The Romans, when the masters of the world, did not violate its liberty and laws. Our modern cabaret, conceived on the island of Hawaii, is a challenge to our past potentates to carry on the precepts of the initiates on the little island of Samothrace. Each year, we assemble in brotherly fashion to commune in subtle but significant fraternization. Many travels from far distant lands to be present at the shrine sessions. So at least we get a little bit of a background on these guys. It's all for fun, right? Of course. It's all about brotherhood and fraternity. We look here at the Kabarai origins. This is Wikipedia, but... And you can also spell it C-A-B-E-I-R-I. In Greek mythology, Kabarai were a group of enigmatic, catonic deities. They were worshipped in a mystery cult closely associated with that of Hephaestus, centered in the North Aegean islands of Lemnos and possibly Samothrace, and at the Samothrace temple complex at Thebes. In their distant origins, the Kabarai and the Samothracian gods may include pre-Greek elements or other non-Greek elements such as Thracian, Terehenian, Pelasgian, Figrian, or Hittite. The Lemnian cult was always local to Lemnos, but the Samothracian mystery cult spread rapidly throughout the Greek world during the Hellenistic period, eventually initiating Romans. Pop on over to Gnostic Warrior, and he's got an article here. It says, The Irish Druid Kabarai are the same as the Phoenician Kabarai. He says, There are many interesting connections between the Phoenicians, Greek, Ionians, and the Old Irish that can be found all throughout the early history of Ireland. These similarities between these people are often found in their religious customs, gods, goddesses, family, and place names they had imported into Ireland. So, I won't go deeply into that, but this is what is the meaning of Kabarai. The Latin name Kabarai, an old Irish Kabir, is derived from the Phoenician and Hebrew word Kabir, that is sometimes spelled Kabir with a C, or C-H-A-B-I-R, or C-H-B-I-R-U. And he goes into a couple other spellings, but was once the ancient god of Ireland, being that of the ancient Irish pantheon of gods, known as Axire, Axiris, Kosmael, and Kabir. The priests of this god were the Druidic Kabiri or Kabirai. And here on the Carl Jung 
psychology side here. It says the Kabari are in fact the mysterious creative powers, the gnomes who work under the earth. And it's got some stuff in there about this. So I will put that in the show notes. I don't want to like confuse you with all that nonsense, but it's kind of interesting to put it all together. So we just keep finding these different inner organizations. And I think that that's something I want to continue to look at. I know with Freemasonry, there's other inner orders like the Society of King Solomon. There's the Council of Royal and Select Masons. Sometimes you hear them called the Cryptic Council. There's something called the Allied Masonic Degrees. And also, of course, there's Royal Arch Freemasonry. And I'm sure there's a bunch of others that we don't know about, but we've mentioned quite a few in this episode. Been kind of all over the place with this episode, but everything that I've mentioned has been connected to the Shriners. I'll go just a little bit more into what's been going on with the hospitals of the Shriners. I think this tells a lot that there is a real problem that they've managed to keep mostly out of the spotlight. But I think that probably all those things that happened with Sandy Frost really shook up the organization. And I think possibly some of those initiates realized, hey, there's prostitution going on, possibly sex trafficking, tax evasion, probably money laundering, and other things. I'm just saying possibly, and that maybe we need to get out of here. And uh, so I think you've seen the numbers drop, but also that would be a good reason why you would see that these hospitals would start closing because, because people are starting to trace the money, trace that trail of money. And sometimes when you trace the money back to these philanthropic organizations, you see that they're connected to a lot of shady things or questionable tactics or there's unanswered questions. You can't see where everything goes. And so that's how people get caught, and nobody wants to get arrested. If they can bring down a federal judge, then a lot of these guys know that they could be brought down too. Well, I was going to read from this article from the Chronicle of Philanthropy, but you have to have a subscription. It says, Shriners end free care for all at children's hospitals. So I can't read the rest of it there. Look and see what else I can find, though. Let's see here. Here's another one from Sandy Frost, Shriners to Close Galveston Hospital. Uh, here we go. This is from wikileaks.org, and this says, and wow, this is from Sandy Frost as well. It says, a confidential interim report of the Special Investigative Committee of the Joint Board of Shriners Hospitals for Children describes how immediate past potentate Bernard Lemieux appointed a committee to investigate the conduct of Shriners leaders Ralph Sim, chairman of the Shriners Hospitals, for Children Board of Trustees and Jean Bracewell, Imperial Treasurer Shriner, International Imperial Devon. The report was leaked online at WikiLeaks and can be found here. And uh, I'll skip through here. I won't read everything. Like I said, I'll put all this stuff in my show notes if you want to check it out. But it says here, The report revealed how Sim and Bracewell pushed hard for continued contracts with one specific fundraising company, Vantage Direct Marketing Services. Vantage raised over $46 million between 1999 and 2003 on behalf of SHC, the Shriners Hospitals, with only $2.5 million going to the hospitals out of $46 million. In other words, if someone donated $100 during these campaigns, $95 was kept by Vantage with only $5 going to the hospitals. Bracewell admitted to committee and board members that he got at least one free trip from Vantage in 2007. The report suggests that Sim retaliated against one employee who opposed Vantage's contracts by unilaterally firing him on October 31, 2006, without first consulting the board. The report suggests that both Sim and Bracewell were attempting to accomplish their purposes by using subterfuge rather than directly making their views known by compromising the 360-degree review process in an unprecedented way. Uh, like I said, I won't read all this stuff, but come on, man. I mean, $46 million, $46 million 
and all that they got for the hospital was $2.5 million. And they have tax-exempt status. So that tells you that it's a racket. And it makes you wonder, really, how many of these philanthropic groups are a racket. You know, I've talked in the past about how I believe that the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and the Fords really figured out how to get these philanthropic organizations going in order to launder money and not pay taxes and control policies. And, of course, they may have gotten that from the Rothschild family because they've been able to do that throughout Israel and other parts of the world. And now the Clinton Foundation and the McCain Foundation and just dozens and dozens of these foundations and these NGOs are doing the same exact thing. Our world is pretty much run by NGOs. So it's it's a racket and you hope that more people will start investigating it like Sandy Frost did and put this out in the mainstream, although her information never really reached the mainstream. You can see that WikiLeaks, at least, uh, actually reported this, and you would uh, hope that more people would jump onto this, because it all just goes back to if you don't hold your group accountable or the one that you like accountable, then it'll just become corrupt like the ones you hate. So that's just a fact of life. So before I get out of here, I know this has been a crazy wild one, but I hope you got something out of it. I wanted to mention the order of the Quetzalcoatl, which I didn't know existed until I listened to the Occult Rejects, and they do some great, great stuff on this. But uh, this is just yet another inner order of the Shriners. I'll jump on here and read a little bit about them. This is a website called thetravelingtemplar.com. And the funny thing is, they also call this order the Order of Q, because, of course, the title starts with the letter Q. I'll read a little bit here, okay? Some years ago, before I joined the shrine, I was talking to a brother who was involved with the local Shriners Temple, and we started talking about a group he was calling Q. I knew about the Royal Order of the Jesters, but until that point, I had not heard of Q, or by its full name, the Order of Quetzal. La Coatl. This order is an invitation body for those Masons who are also nobles of the Mystic Shrine and whose philanthropy focuses on transportation funds for Shriners hospitals. The basic organizational unit is known as the, uh, forgive me for butchering these Aztec names, the Teocali. The Teocali is defined as a godhouse or temple that surmounted a terraced pyramid commonly found in Mesoamerica, which is where the legend of this order stems from. The local Teocalis falls under the governance of the supreme Teocali, but the Teocali are given a lot of autonomy. There are Teocali in the United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, and other places. Members of this order are also known as artisans. There are two degrees conferred by this order. Artisan and Master Artisan. The Teokali is led by the following officers. Now, here I'm going to butcher some more names. The Kamakstli is the presiding officer. The Chimalma is similar to a VP or vice president. The Huamek, similar to a VP. The Titlawakan is similar to a VP. The Twakulo is a secretary. The Kalpik is the treasurer. The Kwatomak is the inner guard and guide. This one I'm really going to butcher. The Netzahal Koyotl is the outer guard. And the high priest or Teopixi is the chaplain. Teokalis can come together and form regional associations, which are presided over by a chief. The order of Lakwetzalcoatl was founded on March 14, 1945 by Arthur J. Elian in Mexico City. He was a scholar of ancient Mesoamerican history and of Mexican lore. He was also a very involved Mason, having been elected as Grand Master of the My Respectable Grand Logia Valle de Mexico, and as well as being recognized as Emeritus Registrar of the 33rd degree of the Scottish Rite of Mexico, and the Recorder Emeritus of the Anazar Temple. 
Not much is known of the formative years of the order, but the order spread after the Shriners from Arizona and California had made trips to Mexico and were initiated into it. They carried it back to the U.S., where it spread over the years and eventually led to the formation of the Supreme Teocalli. This order takes the name from an ancient Mesoamerican god by the same name. Quetzalcoatl is known as the Plume Serpent, and his name comes from the Nahuatl words Quetzalli, meaning precious feather, and Coatl meaning serpent. Quetzalcoatl was a storm god who was considered to be the creator of the world and mankind, and is often associated with the rain god Tlaloc. He was also considered patron and god of learning, science, agriculture, crafts, and the arts. In Aztec mythology, he was the brother of Tezcatlipoca, god of the night and sorcery, and another Huitzilopochtli, and also brother of, and I won't try to pronounce this one, it's too much, who was the god of war, the sun, and human sacrifice, and Xaip Totec, god of spring and vegetation. Other legends state that he was a prophet and a leader of a group of men known as the Toltecs, craftsmen or builders, who was then deified after he had attained such enlightenment that merited his ascension. And so it's got some links there. It says a few other things, but there's a bunch of names in there that I can't pronounce, and I've butchered all these other ones. So my goal with this particular episode is basically just to kind of show you that there are other elements to the shrine. And when you see one of those Shriners temples, think about the things that I've mentioned. And I hope that this will spur you to do your own investigation and please feel free to use my show notes to do that and you may learn a lot more than I have about these different organizations and anything I didn't mention I would very much appreciate it if you would send me the information about it because I'm always wanting to learn more and find out more information and gather more pieces to this mystery school puzzle. So I think hopefully if there's one thing we can kind of learn from this episode is that a lot of these philanthropic organizations may not be what they appear to be on the outside. There may be more to the story. And with these secret societies, there are often inner orders that we may have never even heard of. And so these kind of things have went on for many, many years in our country and in our world. And they have controlled certain policies and certain elements behind the scenes. So I think that's just something that we need to be aware of. And we don't have to dive into it deeply. Not everyone is interested in this stuff, and I understand that. I just think that when it comes to these type of things, we just need to keep in mind that there is virtue signaling out there. And there is moral self-licensing, as Adam Curry talks about. People doing something good to justify doing something bad. And often that bad thing is hidden from the normal people, the everyday people, but they do the good thing for themselves, makes them feel good and less guilty about doing the bad things. So I think that we need to think about that as well. And that probably applies to a lot of these situations. And I'm not going to say that every Shriner is evil or bad. I'm just saying, look, there's more to these organizations. And it's great that they've done good things for children and people in need. And it's great that other Masonic organizations have done good things for charity. But we also can't just wipe the slate clean and not look into everything that they may have done that was corrupt. And you can apply that to any and every other organization out there, from religious to secular to science to whatever. So that being said... I really want to thank you for taking the time and having the patience with me to go through this episode because I know it's been wild. I want to thank my patrons first and foremost. I want to thank James, Greg, David, Aaron, Kilowatt, Kathleen, Cody, Sir Tim of the Tunnels, Aaron, and of course Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Thank you all for your support. I hope you have a great week. I've got part two of the Rosicrucians coming up this week in just a few days. 
if you were a part of the Patreon, which is forward slash the odd man out, you would have already gotten that episode early. But no worries. Cheers and blessings to all of you. Thank you very much. And remember, their order is not our order. <laughs>